T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. We are talking to a friend, a fellow reporter, Lou Raguse, who is an investigative reporter with Care 11 Television, and he has written a book. It is so cool. It's called Vanished in Vermilion, and he is on our John Schuster Colwell Banker Hotline. Lou, thanks for po- thanks for coming on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Susie. So if you hear an echo, it could be, did you hear that echo? You don't have your radio on, do you? No, I don't. Okay, well, just never mind. I'll just not listen to it. So tell us the story. You were a young reporter. Um, It was a summer. Tell us about the incident in Vermilion, South Dakota, first of all, and how you came to the story. So back in 1971, two high school juniors, Pam Jackson and Sherry Miller, were on their way to an end-of-the-year drinking party out in the country outside of Vermilion, South Dakota, and these were not your typical party girls. That's it was kind of they're kind of branching out, trying something new. It was Memorial Day weekend. They kept getting lost on their way to the, this party. They ended up running into some classmates, some boys from their class who were surprised to see them on the way out there. And they asked for directions how to get there. And they tried following the boys there. They never made it to the party, and they were never seen again. And what happened next? So it was a cold case. Uh, they never found anyone. And how did you come inve- to it? Oh, go ahead. So the investigation at the beginning was was kind of pathetic on the uh, local sheriff who insisted that they ran away. And the case kind of eventually disappeared, except for, of course, the families and friends who wondered all those years what happened to them. Fast forward to 2004 in the state of South Dakota opened a cold case unit. And they picked this case as the first case that they wanted to solve with this cold case unit because they had a suspect in mind who was a prison inmate who was in prison for a rape and, uh, and had a history, a terrible history with women. And he happened to be living in the area where this party was held back in 1971 and would have been about the same age as the girls at that time. So they, they reopened the case as a cold case in 2004 with the thought that this guy killed them when he was 16 years old himself and potentially buried the girls and their car on this farm he was living on. So they dug up that farm, um, trying to find the girls. And really that's where I came into play because I was a reporter in South Dakota at the time. Okay. Okay. So that's how you, that's where you come into the story. And so you covered it as it became a reopened case. Obviously. Yes. And, Yep, and they and they uh, they pursued it as a murder case, 
And then that's when I'm not going to give away the spoiler, but there's all no. sorts of twists and turns that this cold case takes. And ultimately, several years later, we find out what happened to Pam and Sherry. And it's a, it's a, it's a big shocker. And the reason that I wrote the book, though, is that the authorities never explained uh, all these discrepancies over the years, all these things that they got wrong. And we're talking about things like using a hypnotist to hypnotize witnesses to try to draw out 30-year memories and then believing everything that they say. Oh, my goodness. So you started this. When did you first get your hands on this story? When did you first see this story? Well, I, I kept in contact with the families after I moved out of South Dakota in 2008. And about the time that I moved back to Minnesota, back to the Midwest, it was which was 2015, around that time I started talking with the families again, and they were interested in having me put something together for them at first because there are so many wrong details in all the coverage of it over the years in, in the press that they really didn't even know what was true and what was not. And the case had always intrigued me so much, and I wanted to do more digging into it. And so I, I told them, you know, if you're willing to, to give me the time to really research this for a book, I would rather do it that way and, you know, in that way put it out to the world for everyone. And that's what they wanted me to do, and then that's what I did. How hard was it? It was extremely difficult because, you know, in Minnesota, when a case is closed, you can just request to do a data or a FOIA request for all the police documents and interviews and videos and so forth. In South Dakota, they don't have a data practices law. Oh. So they can keep police reports closed forever. Man. And so I lo- lobbied and, and pushed until finally the attorney general in South Dakota granted me access to the full case. And then the local sheriff, the current sheriff, and the current police chief in Vermilion also gave me access to their files after that. So I kind of had this unprecedented access to a case in South Dakota. And so as the people are reading the book there, their minds are being blown because they didn't know any of the stuff that was going on in their own backyard. My goodness. So was it a lot of material? I mean, when you talk about getting access to different places. Yeah, like seven banker boxes worth of documents. <laughs> and you read them all line by line? Yes. So I don't want to give away the book. The book is called Vanished in Vermilion. Do you get answers? I mean, do you feel at the end of the book satisfied? Yeah. So in 2013, 2014, it came out in in the news what it, what had happened to Pam and Sherry, but th- there really weren't like the answers. And so not only do you find out what happened to them, but you find out all the details of how it got to that point. And so that's the best way to put it is that the, the, finale, like the people who live in, in Vermilion, I tell them you might know how it ended already, but you have no idea how it happened. Ah. And that's what this book does for them. Yes, because I know it. you were asked, uh, the, why did you focus on the investigation and not just explain how it was all resolved? You had a per, you had a sense about what you wanted to share in this book? Yeah, it's all about the journey. Uh, there's three parts in the book. The first part is the initial investigation in 1971 and how, how it got screwed up so bad back then, as well as, you know, getting to know Pam and Sherry and who they were, even within their own families. Their siblings had such a wide age difference that their, you know, their siblings didn't know them as well as like their classmates did. So that was an interesting part of it. The middle part of the book, the second part is all about the cold case investigation, which is really like kind of one-on-one on how not to do a cold case investigation, but it's uh, extremely fascinating. 
and a lot of stuff involving confirmation bias where all of a sudden every clue that comes to the police looks like it points them in the right direction, but it may or may not be. And in the third part of the book is kind of like my own investigation after the fact in uh, explaining how things ended up the way they were. So Lou Ragu is with us. A, he is a reporter with CARE 11, and he's also an investigative reporter. You know, we cover in our life a lot of bizarre things, and we see different things. How did you know, like, and do you have other stories you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to start taking, you know, this one's going to lead me down this path. How did you decide this book, and then why might you do other books? Well, the, the, the weird part about this one was back when I was covering the cold case, I would have breakfast with Pam Jackson's brother-in-law, and he would share with me all these crazy details that they were finding out from the cold case investigators. And he would tell me, someday you have to write a book about this because the stuff that they're finding is so insane. But then so much of it turned out ironically not to be correct. But then the truth of what really happened ended up being a much more interesting book in the end. So it was kind of ironic that I turned back to this case after, after all of that, but it really took the resolution in 2013 to find out what happened to them to really raise a whole bunch of more questions that had just never been answered. By the time that it was revealed what happened to Pam and Sherry, most of the reporters that were covering the story were not there when the cold case was going on because it's a smaller market where reporters come and go, stay a few years and move on. So it really was kind of like unfinished business from my mind. But locally here, you know, there's been a lot of uh, interesting cases as well. But one, one difference is, you know, like I had the full support of the family in this one mm-hmm. to, uh, to pursue the truth. And that's really what's needed a lot of times in these cases. Like you remember, of course, the, the Jamie Kloss kidnapping in Barron, Wisconsin. Yes. But, you know, that's at this point, that's kind of Jamie's story. So, like, there, there's a lot of examples like that where it would take the people who are involved to really want it to be done. Right, right. And exactly. And to have them be willing and brave enough to do so because it's so traumatic. I mean, to try to have Jamie Claus at that young age and users an example of to mm-hmm. really go deep and relive what was unbelievable and horrible, you know, I can mm-hmm. see that some stories just can't be told. Yeah, and she she may or may not decide to do that at some point. But in this case in particular, after Pam Jackson's sister read the book, she told me that it gave her more closure than the law enforcement authorities or even the memorial service that they eventually had gave her. So that was, you know, like a really meaningful compliment that you can get from a family member that makes it feel like it was worth doing. I was going to ask, you were asked by the paper about this, um, why weren't you initially more skeptical of the authorities' and what they were telling you. Because I know as news people, we do get press releases and we do go with whatever we are given. And in this case, obviously, so many uh, mistakes were made and misinformation. Mm -hmm. Does it sort of change how you see your own job and when you get information from people and how to look at it? Yeah, and there were a couple of different reasons for that. I was only 22 years old at the time, so, you know, I was learning how to do the business on one hand. But the main factor was that in South Dakota, you you just have no way to double check their work. And so they were giving us 
what we thought was a lot of information. And like, I'll just give you an example. When they search that farm, they, they, they have a search warrant to search this farm and then they file the receipts or the inventory of what they, they took from the farm. And it said that they took bones and clothing and a red purse among other things. And so like, you know, well, geez, they, they took bones, you know, and, and we're like, we ask, are those human bones? And then their answer is, well, we won't know for several weeks until the testing comes back. And then, you know, we just report, we report that and we report what we're being told. Well, then they never end up telling us what the test results were. And we have no other way to check. It's because it's, it's just a very close to the public system there. And so we were, we were victimized by the authorities in that way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot easier in hindsight to say, well, yeah, they were lying to us the whole time, but you know, we we were just kind of stuck at the same, on the same token. Have you felt that way in other stories that you've covered where you get, you know, stonewalled? Yeah. I mean, we've been stonewalled before, but it, it was never to that extent. And I think that it helps in Minnesota that, you know, they can lie, but the lie will eventually come out usually nowadays anyway. And so I think, I think that that keeps them honest a little bit more. Yeah. And there, there just was, there was no recourse there. And like, just as an example, one of the leaders of the cold case unit um, went on to be the secretary of public safety for the state of South Dakota. So like basically everyone got a promotion when it was all said and done. Hmm. Uh, What the, the, the attorney general became a judge um, the other cold case guy became the oh. leader of the DCI, which is like the Minnesota BCA. So it's like everybody got a promotion, even though they screwed up. So uh, nothing, nothing mattered. Gosh, it just kind of kills you sometimes. Like we live our lives and we sort of believe what we are told. And, and yet it's, I always think honestly, Lou, of the George Floyd press release, the morning that George, the morning after uh, Memorial Day, when, mm-hmm. it, you know, a man in his forties died of a medical condition. That's what it said. <laughs> I don't know if you yep. remember that, but you know, had oh, yeah. yep, totally. I mean, had there not been video, I think I asked that of the chief at the time. Had there not been video, nobody would have even blinked at that story. A man right. in his forty, and even if an eyewitness came forward, you know, then you're you're like, well, do we believe this person that says that they saw different, or do we believe what the police are saying? Yeah, so it, it creates that that that. That's that's a problem. And yeah. so it it is easier now to get to the truth, I think, than it was before. But especially when there were no ramifications, it was even harder. Yeah. So two things. You're going to a book signing in your hometown. Is that right? Yep, that's tomorrow. And where is that? Wheaton, Minnesota. Wonderful. And Wheaton, you're... Minnesota. It's on the western border of the state. <laughs> and and how do you feel? Do you feel pretty good? I mean, it's it's done you're getting accolades you're getting publicity how does it feel yeah it feels great i mean it's like um you know when you when you work on something for so long and you read it over yourself and make so many changes then you start to wonder oh geez is this thing any good because you've just only been looking at it yourself for so long so it feels really good to have other people read it and say how good they feel it is too and it's been wildly successful uh amazon sold out uh, oh, within cool. six days. That's great. And then had to get more stock right right when we were promoting it. So that was a, that was a twist. But um, yeah, and Barnes and Nobles have been having trouble keeping it in stock as well. So it's yeah, it's been selling like crazy. Is it kind of like a murder mystery? I mean, is it a 
you know, page turner kind of thing? Is that how? Yeah. Because I love absolutely. that stuff. Yeah, I, I'll get the book. Mm-hmm. I'll read it. And, that, and that's uh, another issue with this case was, you know, the suspect, he, he had some legitimately horrible crimes. Okay, so it's not like, you know, Joe Blow on the street is just picked up and, and they're trying to pin something on him. It's like he believably could have done what they are trying to pin on him. Right. And so at that point, you know, the, it makes it harder to doubt as well. And, right. and then also from a, the public standpoint, they might shrug and say, well, so what if they got it wrong? That guy's in prison and he did a horrible thing. I think the book really makes you question, like, what are your feelings on justice? Like, what does justice look like to somebody who may have done horrible things in the past, but is maybe not guilty of what he's being accused of now? Yeah. And it's a lot of a lot of gray area and self-reflection. And that's kind of what I thrive in in the job is kind of all the, the gray areas of all these issues we cover. Yeah. Well, thank you. Drive careful tomorrow. We got some snow, so don't don't go fast. Yep. And um, I pre- <laughs> congratulations you, on the book. And we look forward to reading it. I appreciate that. All right. Have a good night. Good night. That is Lou Raguse from Channel 11. Uh, brand new book getting great reviews. Vanished in Vermilion. The story of the summer of 1971. Two, di- two girls uh, went missing and uh, have to read the book to find out more about what happened and the mistakes that were made. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.